Hello and Happy New Year. This What Do Scientists Do episode is an episode from The Vault with Jessica interviewing Dr. Craig McCormick all about viruses, virology, what viruses are, what virus conferences are like, and how we actually study viruses. So keep on listening to learn more. So hello everybody and welcome to What Do Scientists Do? It's a show where I talk to a different science guest each episode and they tell us all about what it's like to work in the world of science, technology, engineering, and math. My name is Jessica and today I'm joined by our very special guest. Could you give us your name and your pronouns please? Hi, my name is Craig McCormick and my pronouns are he, him. So Craig, what kind of scientist are you? Uh, I'm a virologist. I'm a scientist who studies viruses. Ooh. Ah. Cool. And what do you specifically study? What are you working on? Uh, so in my laboratory, we study a number of different viruses. So we're interested in viruses um, that many of your listeners would be interested in, like coronaviruses and influenza viruses. So we, we, uh, we study some of the viruses that... Um, cause human disease and we want to understand how they do that and uh, see if we can find ways to interfere with that. Cool. Have you made any discoveries or figured anything out that you think our listeners would find interesting? I think I think they would really find our approach interesting. Um, so we are interested because viruses are so small and so simple and yet they have big impacts. Um, I think that your listeners would really appreciate understanding how we approach studying viruses because we can't look at them under the microscope. They're just too small to see under uh, like a, a normal light microscope like you might see in a classroom. And so um, we study them um, through uh, basically genetic methods. We, we take them apart. Um, we interfere with um, some of their genes and to figure out so how viral genes work um, and uh, where some of their weaknesses is weaknesses are that we might be able to um, take advantage of. Very cool. I guess a good place to start would also be what is a virus? Yeah, great question. So, um, and the answer is, um, it's a little bit unclear. Um, so viruses are um, basically very small, um, very simple um, parasites. What they, what they do is um, they are able to infect our cells. So they, they can, like a virus can enter a cell um, and then it uses those resources that we have inside of our human cells to replicate and make more viruses. Um, and without our cells, um, viruses couldn't possibly exist. So they are, they are very small and very simple, um, and they really take advantage of our resources to, to grow and spread. Cool, so if there were no people, there would be no coronavirus, right? Coronavirus! Uh, that's right, the coronaviruses are absolutely dependent on us for, for replication and, and spreading from person to person. Cool. Does that mean that other living things can get viruses too? That's right, yes. Um, so basically, uh, viruses have been around for as long as there have been um, living things on the planet. And so um, there's, a, there's a saying, it says, the saying goes, um, successful systems attract parasites. 
And we should think of any, basically any living thing as being a successful system that is going to have a parasite attached to it. And so there are viruses of plants, um, there are viruses of people, of animals, um, there are viruses of um, other microorganisms like bacteria. Cool. So how did you end up deciding that you wanted to study viruses? Oh, um, so when I was young, uh, so when I was doing uh, an undergraduate degree at the University of New Brunswick, I had a, a professor who was probably the most enthusiastic, um, fun, uh, you know, professor who was just very interested in the world around them, loved viruses, loved to share. Um, and I just thought that this was um, the most exciting thing possible, like to, to be able to, um, to study these things that are hard to study um, and have fun doing it. So I really liked investigating viruses, but I also really liked the culture of um, be working in a laboratory and interacting with other young scientists. Do you have a favorite science thing that you've ever done? I think, um, to tell you the truth, every day is, uh, is kind of gets better and better. So what we're working on currently is some of the most exciting work that I've been involved in. Um, when you're training, like when you're learning how to be a scientist, sometimes um, your project is your own and, um, and you just sort of like it's, it's your own thing that you've got to bring to like a successful endpoint. Um, but what I'm working on right now is a number of projects on coronaviruses and influenza viruses. Um, and I'm working with a team of young people, each who have their own project. And it's, it's very exciting to just be able to support all of them in what they're trying to do. Uh, and so um, I really like, I like, like the team and I like working with them in order to figure out um, some of the inner workings of viruses and how we can interfere with them. Very cool. So you mentioned that you kind of have to do lots of really funky, interesting things to study viruses. What is, could you maybe walk us through one of those techniques that you might use? Um, maybe one of the most like common ones. Mm, okay. Um, so one of the techniques that we use to study viruses um, is something called a plaque assay. And, um, and the way this works is, so when you're studying viruses, you want to know how many you've got. Um, and because it makes a big difference when you're doing an experiment and, you've only got one, and there's only one virus in your sample versus one million. And so how do you know how many you've got? And one way to do that is, I mentioned earlier that viruses can't replicate without a host cell to replicate. They basically can't grow if they don't have a host cell to replicate in. And so what we do is we give them some host cells um, and we, uh, we basically um, take the viruses and, um, and measure the effects that they have on those host cells um, in that they, each time they replicate in the host cell, they destroy it. And so um, that gives us an idea of the number of viruses in the sample. And if there's very few, then they will destroy very few host cells. And if there's lots, then they will destroy lots of host cells. Very cool. Yeah, because you can't just look at them and count them. They're just too tiny. That's right. Um, are there any ways that you can see viruses? How do we know what they look like? Uh, we, so viruses are smaller than um, what's known as the diffraction limit of light. So we can't use a light microscope 
So we have to use special techniques to look at them. He's looking at you, kid. Um, and one technique uh, you can use is, uh, is something called an electron microscope. Uh, and what the electron microscope does basically uh, is uh, it um, allows you to visualize viruses even though they're, it's, they're far smaller than, um, than normal techniques would allow you to do. Um, and so basically what you're doing is um, you're taking a sample that has viruses in it, um, you are um, processing it um, to basically um, stain it to give a nice background, um, and then you're shooting electrons, which are, uh, which are far smaller than, um, than basically light, um, and you're shooting electrons at them, and that generates your picture. So you're able to see this, uh, this picture of a virus that you wouldn't normally be able to see. Yeah, so if we can see them using electron microscopes, why don't we just use electron microscopes all the time? Why do you have to do all these other things to try to figure out how many there are? Oh, well, so there's um, there's sort of a practical aspect of uh, electron micros microscopes give you these beautiful pictures, but it takes time to generate those pictures. And we like to um, answer our questions as well and as quickly as possible. Um, and so sometimes the fastest way to get an answer is to use some other like indirect method to know that the virus was there, like looking at the destruction of the cell that it was replicating in. That makes sense. Because mm -hmm. I think electron microscopes are pretty big as well, right? You can't just you know, have one on your desk in the classroom as easily as um, light microscopes. No, that's right. They're specialized equipment for sure. Yeah. Do you have a favorite virus? I know that viruses, obviously, they can cause a lot of harm, especially the ones that we study that infect people. But as a scientist, in terms of viruses being very interesting to you, do you have a favorite one? I change my mind all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so when I was, when I was uh, first studying viruses, I was studying a virus that infects bacteria. Um, and this, uh, this, this virus was called bacteriophage. Uh, and the bacteriophage that I was studying um, just had this beautiful um, structure and um, it was fun, sort of fun to play with and it replicated really fast so we could ask questions and answer them really quickly. Um, more recently, we've been studying coronaviruses, coronaviruses. because of the, the worldwide pandemic that made studying coronaviruses more important than ever. Um, and I have to tell you, there's a lot we still don't know. And, um, and having, there's nothing better than a great question. And so uh, having unanswered questions to address by studying viruses is very exciting to me. I love that. There's nothing better than a great question because you are answering these questions where we maybe didn't even have those questions 30 years ago. Right? Like, virology is very, very new, isn't it? Um, so I love that. There's nothing better than a great question. Do you have any big, what do you think are the biggest questions in the world of viruses right now? I think one of the, one of the biggest questions in the world right now about viruses is um, we have methods now that allow us to basically study what viruses there are out there in nature, even ones that don't cause disease in humans. Uh, or, or don't cause disease in humans yet that we've known. Um, and, um, and so basically there are so many viruses in nature uh, and they remain sort of unknown to us. And I think one of the biggest questions is, you know, can we get a handle on um, what viruses are out there? Can we start to, you know, catalog them? Can we start to have an understanding of, of 
their diversity in nature, um, and then which ones might be problematic later. So, so which ones um, that we're not concerned with today, but we want to prepare for them from 10 years from now. Um, if we had a better idea of which viruses were in which animals, um, in which locations, um, that would be really helpful for us in being able to be prepared for the for um, stopping the next pandemic, let's say. That makes sense, because most human viruses were not always human viruses, right? They came from animals and kind of edged their way into people. Well, yes and no. So okay. actually, there are some viruses that have been with us for a very long time, since before humans were humans, actually. So some viruses are very tuned to just replicate in us and not be flexible and move between different animal species. The opposite of that is the coronaviruses, which we've seen like most recently with SARS-CoV-2, that um, that moved from uh, you know an animal reservoir into us, right? Uh, and then also what we've seen it do is spill over into other animals from humans and then spill back. So so there's been um, so the coronaviruses have been remarkably flexible in what kind of host that they they like to replicate in, um, whereas other viruses like I'll give you an example. Um, human herpes viruses really like to stick to humans, um, and don't um, you won't find them infecting other animals or you know other primates, for example. So um, some viruses are, yeah, they just are sort of faithful to the the host that they they replicate in, and other ones are quite flexible. Cool. Do you have any advice? For anybody who might be interested in studying viruses? If you're interested in studying viruses, uh, there are lots of resources out there. Um, there are um, uh, good podcasts. So a great place actually to begin for young people and also um, older people. Um, I, there's a podcast called This Week in Virology, which is I, th I think is very accessible. And um, it's led by a podcaster named Vincent Racaniello. He's been doing this, I believe they have done a thousand podcasts now, uh, a thousand episodes of their podcast. Um, and it's weekly and there's just um, some experts um, who are sitting around a microphone and talking about viruses in a very sort of accessible and conversational way. And what I like about them especially is if they don't know something, they admit that they, they don't know. Um, and that's a starting point for their conversation rather than pretending that they know. So um, so I think, I think that podcast is really fascinating. It's a great place to start. Um, and then, um, you know, young people who want to get involved in vir virus research um, can reach out to people who are studying viruses and, um, and express their interest. There's, you know, what we're interested in are... Um, bringing in young people who are highly motivated, um, curious, and hardworking. And you don't need to know the answer to everything. Like, you, you know, it's more important that you just be curious and interested in, in, like, asking and answering the right questions. Yeah, I love that. Scientists admitting that they don't know things is a huge part of science, right? Um, is saying, hey, what do we not know? How can we answer those questions? Um, I love that. And how did you, so you are a virologist now, what did you have to do to get there? Like, are there certain steps that, like boxes that you kind of have to check to end up a virologist in terms of like school and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, uh, so basically I did an undergrad 
degree um, at uh, the University of New Brunswick. So I sort of had a, like a foundation of science understanding before I started. Um, and, um, and then I, I did a graduate degree at the University of British Columbia. And I studied viruses there. Um, and, then, uh, and then I studied, so I basically I had more training in California. And then eventually um, I was recruited back to Dalhousie as a, for, for a faculty position. Um, and so there are steps along the way for sure and, you know, training to become a virologist. Um, and my path isn't the only path. There are many paths that are like legitimate ways to go. Um, but one thing I just wanted to mention was I really enjoyed traveling around and living in different places while I was training. And um, the other thing people might not recognize about scientists is um, is the ability to travel and interact with other people. Uh, and that's been really fun for me um, and uh, it's a really attractive part of, of training to be a scientist is being able to train in different cities in different countries around the world uh, and and also to go to conferences and share ideas with other scientists around the world so the travel aspect of being a scientist is um, is something that we don't talk about a lot but it's actually uh, a really nice perk yeah I've never thought to talk about that before, but it's true. Um, what are the virus conferences like? What's the vibe? I have I have a friend who's been to lots of shark conferences, and it's exactly what you would expect a bunch of people who love sharks in a room together to be like. Everybody's wearing shark things. But what are the virus ones like? So I find virus conferences are really sort of fun and, and collegial. Um, people tend to get along pretty well. And one reason why they get along really well is... Uh, they're um, less in competition than some other scientists are. And the reason is, is because um, there are so many different viruses out there. So uh, so a lot of people are um, working on their favorite virus, but are really keen on understanding, uh, like hearing more about some other virus they don't work on. And so there's a lot of sort of openness at the conferences because it's like, um, you know, I don't work on... Um, this other virus, but I'm sure I'm curious about it. And so there's, um, it's it's quite open, it's quite friendly, it's it's not as competitive as some other fields, I would say. That makes sense, because the viruses that infect bacteria and the viruses that infect people are probably pretty different in terms of researching them and knowing everything about them. And, and yet we recognize that we have a lot to learn from each other. Um, so there are lessons to be taken from these other viruses. And so you have to kind of be open to that because um, it can uh, really open your eyes to some possibilities for the virus that you study. I love that. A ginormous thank you to Dr. McCormick for talking to us and teaching us all about viruses and virology. A big thank you to Jessica for having the interview. And as always, a big, big thank you to everybody listening at home, on the bus, on a ship, on a plane, wherever you might be. For more science fun, you can find us at supernova at Dal on Instagram or X. Do you have a question that you'd like answered by one of our experts? Send us an email or a voice recording at what do scientists do at superstaff.ca and we'll probably answer your question on the show. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next episode. Bye-bye for now. Supernova at Dalhousie is a network member of Actua. For more information on our summer camps, workshops, and more, visit supernova.dal.ca.